0: That was bleak, wasn't it? If uh, you read on through the book, I imagine that feeling uh, would only grow. Hands up if you've ever been to see a play at the theatre. Most most of us. Has anyone seen uh, Samuel Beckett's famous play, The Breath? No? Well, um... I definitely don't want to shell out money to go and see it. I've not seen it, Uh, but um, I've heard about it. It um, apparently lasts about 35 seconds. And all that happens is uh, you hear someone take a breath in and then there's a cry and then pause and then another cry and then a breath out. And that's it, (laughs) it's finished. As I said, I'm not gonna go and see it. But if you did, I think you'd be reminded of the Bible book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That, that phrase there in verse 2 that Sam just read for us is repeated at the end of the book as well. And the word um, uh, translated meaningless comes 38 times in this book. And perhaps that does chime with how we're feeling about life uh, right now. Things aren't feeling great. But perhaps, uh, for, for some of us, it's pretty different. Um, perhaps some of us have uh, just got engaged, or uh, just got the all clear, or uh, just started a new job, or just had a grandchild, or uh, something like that. And, and perhaps for, for, for those people, you, you might have listened thinking, really? Is this what the Bible says about life on this planet? We're going to be spending uh, the next few weeks uh, going through this book of Ecclesiastes uh, in some detail. And this morning, there's really only time to answer three simple questions. Who's it for? What's it saying? And why do we need it? Okay, so firstly, who's it for? Uh, Verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, The, the teacher, Uh, Or leader of the assembly, uh, the word means. It's the one who speaks when God's people gather. Ecclesiastes actually comes from uh, that word, uh, the the gathering. Um, And it's the same as uh, the word uh, for church. And actually that's the key, I think, to answering this question of who is this book for. Uh, Lots of uh, people who read it um, get the impression that the book is really for... Uh, sceptics for um, those who don't believe in God, agnostics or atheists. And, and, and it's this sort of uh, game where the teacher pretends to view the world without God. And, and it, it, if he does that, then everything is meaningless until, ta-da, at the end he pulls God out of the hat and, and suddenly the world makes sense and everything is meaningful. And if I'm honest, when I first read it, that's what I thought was going on. But it's not. It can't be that. For a start, actually, uh, all the way through Ecclesiastes, the teacher does see the world in relation to God. So um, just after our reading finished, verse 13, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Or uh, chapter 3, verse 10, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Or uh, chapter 5, verse 7, therefore fear God. Chapter 7, verse 13, consider what God has done. The teacher is a believer writing to the gathering of believers in the sovereign, holy, gracious, saving God of the Bible. And so it's to us believers primarily that verse 2 is written. Of course, if you're you're here as someone uh, who wouldn't call themselves a believer, who um, is looking into Christian things, then uh, I'm not saying this isn't for you. Uh, There's lots here that I think will help you, but I I, I don't want um, uh, the Christians here to think that this is only for you. Uh, Ecclesiastes um, was read, um, uh, after it was written, it was read every year uh, by the Jews in Israel at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, The whole of the book was read uh, for everyone in Israel. And and that was um, harvest time when the people would um, gather in the abundance, uh, thanking God for his generosity and providing food, and um, looking forward to his abundant grace to them in the future. And so this time of of abundance and hope, they would gather together and read these words, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Why? Uh, Well, we'll get there. But first, uh, let's just have a think about what Ecclesiastes is saying. Who's it for? What what is it saying? And I want to start by trying to improve on that um, translation of the key word, meaningless. Um, The old translation, um, the old King James Version, is famously vanity. Vanity of vanities. But the root of the word is vapour or smoke. A bit like um, on a cold winter's morning. I'm feeling a bit cold this morning, but not quite. You know, on a cold winter's morning, it's really cold, freezing. And you breathe out, and you can see your breath. But you can't get hold of it. It's a little bit like that. Um, Are there any volunteers who can help me with something? Anyone happy to volunteer? Um, uh, It it does involve fire. Still hands up. Um, Noah, you had your hand up pretty quickly. Um, Let me just um, light this candle. Here we go. And it's um, a pretty tricky, tricky task. Okay, we go. I've got this candle. I'm going to blow it out. It's going to be some smoke. I want you to try and grab as much of it as you can. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Grab the smoke. <laughs> it's impossible, isn't it? Thank you, Noah, very much. Thank you. Well done. Um, it's not just no who can't do it. It is impossible, isn't it? You can't grasp hold of it. Vapour or smoke. That's what the word is getting at. And the thing that the teacher wants to tell us is that life in this world, under the sun, is like that. It's like smoke or vapour. It's fleeting and it's frustrating. Verse 3, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? We can try as hard as we like, but what progress, what achievement, what real gain is there in the end? Now, the teacher doesn't expect us instantly to agree with him, um, to say, ah, yes, yes, of course. If you're not convinced, well, there's a whole book uh, to, to, to help us. But he starts with um, a nature poem. Uh, Uh, Verse 4, generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Do you get what he's trying to say? The world around us just goes on and on, round and round, and there's no progress. So why should I expect my little life to be any different? Uh, Last week, uh, we uh, were on holiday. Um, uh, thanks um, for praying for us in wherever you um, Yeah, we, we were on holiday, and um, there was one. We were in North Wales, so this is very good. There was one marvelously sunny day, um, and uh, we went to the beach. And um, Danny, what did we do on the beach? Do you remember? We built a sandcastle. Have you forgotten already? Well, that's very <laughs> Ecclesiastes <laughs> of you. Um, uh, we uh, we worked away. We filled our buckets with sand, uh, we, um, uh, you know, dug, we patted down, leveled off, shaped, and um, it was pretty good, I think. It was pretty big. Do you remember now? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, it was, it was um, pretty big. And perhaps you had that experience. Perhaps you've been to the beach and you built a sand closet. Perhaps you built one bigger than you. But do you know what we'd find if we went back to North Wales, Danny? If we went back to that beach? No, it wouldn't just be broken. You're right, it would be broken, it would be ruined. It would be as if it was never even there. There wouldn't be a trace of it, just smooth sand. And that's what our lives are like, the teacher is saying. We, um, uh, verse, verse 8, the eye never has enough of seeing, not the ear it's full of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. We might build a pretty big sandcastle in our own little ways, working away. And we work and we build and we pat and we dig and we, the alarm goes off. We get up, we get dressed, we um, brush our teeth, we hurry off to fix that problem, we send those emails, we get home, we make dinner, we watch TV, we go to bed, the alarm goes off and we do it all over again. And where's the game? Is it just us, Alison and me, who feel like we're always just keeping up, we're just doing the laundry, tidying up after the kids, sorting out new systems to do, doing the taxes, no matter how well you do them, they always come round again, you've got to do them again, even if you had a really good week of doing them, they come up again the next week, and it's the same at work as well, isn't it? you're a teacher, perhaps you spend all year building up this um, one nervous kid only for um, a bully to crush it in an instant. If you're um, uh, in business, perhaps you spend years building up your business only for a pandemic to come along or a war or an energy crisis. you're a doctor. Perhaps you pour yourself into helping to fix this patient's lung, only for their heart to give in the next month. It's even true in um, the Christian things in in life, isn't it? Every morning, uh, we as a family, most mornings, not every morning, we pray together for God's help and for our particular struggles. And every evening, or realistically, just after breakfast, we have to ask for God's forgiveness. And then we do it again the next day and again. And on Sundays, perhaps you take careful notes of the sermon, and by Monday afternoon, you can't remember a thing that the preacher said. I know that as a preacher, it's depressing, I tell you. That happens to all of us. It all feels a lot like that sandcastle. Ah, but, someone will say, you're forgetting about the progress. We're advancing. I'm growing through this. I'm acquiring more. For instance, they might say, later this year, I'm going to get the iPhone 15. That is never-before-seen technology. That is progress. Ah, the teacher says, the iPhone 15. To go with your iPad 11 your 4K TV, to watch Fast and Furious 10. (laughs) But how you feel about the iPhone 15 is how perhaps long ago you felt about the iPhone 1. And perhaps you felt about the first smartphone you had. And someone else about the first mobile And Alexander Graham Bell about the first phone of them all. Verse ten Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. In the words of the Lion King, it's the circle of life. Except it's not a circle, it's a conveyor belt with our brief time going on the same short journey that millions have travelled before us? And who remembers them? I mean, think of your own family, those whom you'd most be expected to know. Family tree nuts aside, maybe there are some of those here. How many of us know the names of our great-great-grandparents? A handful. What about great, great, great grandparents? A few short generations. Even the family. Well done, Ken. (laughs) But a few short generations. And even our own families. Won't know who we were. But they had the same hopes. The same joys. The same frustrations. The same fears. As we do. So... I wonder, does this view of the world, this um, seeing how fleeting, how frustrating it is, does that resonate with you at all? Don't worry if you're not totally persuaded yet. The teacher will build and will nuance his argument as we go through the book. But I just want to think theologically about what's going on for a moment before we think about why we uh, particularly need this. I've put um, in your Word Sheets, and children, it's in your activity booklets as well. Uh, I hope you've been able to make a little bit of progress on those activity booklets, but in the middle of that and in your Word Sheets, there's a, a diagram, a timeline of, um, of the world, according to the Bible, the, the, the world under the sun. Um, and this is the way it works. In the first place, God created everything. Good. It was very good. It was flawless. Uh, things weren't like a, a mist. They weren't frustrating or fleeting, but then... What happened uh, is Adam and Eve turned away from God, and um, so God cursed creation, because nothing can be good without God. And uh, the curse on humanity was on the work of our hands, that it would be frustrating through painful toil you'll eat of the ground, and that life would be fleeting. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that means that everything in this world is cursed and spoiled and broken. And perhaps you've read uh, the book that immediately comes before Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs. And, um, uh, and in some ways it's similar. They're both about how to live wisely. But you might feel like they're totally different. Almost contradictory. That's because Proverbs is teaching us how to live wisely in a world created by God. And Ecclesiastes is teaching us how to live wisely in a world cursed by God. So there's a lot of similarity, but it is different, a different perspective. Ecclesiastes isn't saying the world is as bad as it could be. No, it's all just partly broken. There's loads of the original glory, the original design, still there. When we were away at the beach last week, and we went up a mountain as well, you could see that the beauty is still all around us. We see it in our relationships and everything else. Uh, Sophie collected some beautiful shells on the beach while Danny and I were building a um, a sandcastle and um, stored them up and put them in our car. And um, uh, one of them... It turned out it had something still living inside it. <laughs> Unsurprisingly enough, it died. And the smell, <laughs> until we discovered it, was astonishing. <laughs> now, the world is under a curse, everything a bit broken. And one day, the Bible says, the good news is, Jesus will come back and sort everything out, get rid of everything that's broken. And make everything better than it was at the beginning. Totally perfect. But Ecclesiastes is teaching us very simply, we're not there yet. It's like a big red arrow saying, you are here between the curse and Jesus' return. And it's helping us come face to face with the implications of living in a cursed world. And that means it's often uncomfortable reading for us. So final question, why do we need it? Why do we need to hear this bleak stuff? You might be surprised by my answer to that question. The basic answer is we need it in order to enjoy life. Bear with me. Do any children here enjoy pretend games? Like pretending about stuff? Not really. Oh, some nods. Okay, yeah. Hand. Okay, good, some hands as well. And Maddie, thank you. Um, uh, The sort of games, you know, where you move uh, some cushions around your bedroom or the playroom and it becomes a castle or a spaceship or a tank or a hospital. And you rule the world or fly to the stars or win the war or heal everyone who's sick. It's a wonderful thing to use your imagination like that. But at some point we've got to come to terms with the difference between imaginary pretend games and real life because in real life we can't heal everyone who's sick some people we love will get sick and not get better and unless we face up to the reality of living in a cursed world we just won't be able to cope with it to to say our farewells to write our wills to cope emotionally imagine for instance, you knew someone who was in their 70s or 80s, and every time they, so that someone they knew died, or when they had health problems, they were completely knocked for six, just totally in a panic, or, or furious, or just in denial. I'm sure you'd feel sorry for them. But presumably, you'd also be thinking, Where have you been living all these years? They might have thought they'd be happier by playing. Make-believe. But of course, sooner or later, the crisis is bound to come. And it's amazing that it hasn't come sooner. Because unless you live in the real world, you can't cope with the real world. You can't enjoy life. Remember um, what I said before. The Bible does give us great grounds for hope that things will change when Jesus comes back. That one day we won't need to imagine a world with no pain or frustration or death because we'll live in it and partly it's as we take hold of that solid hope that we can stop trying to grasp hold of the mist of the smoke and accept how fleeting and frustration things in this world really can be so uh, before i finish can i try and get as real as possible for us and please try not to be offended Because I think there are quite a lot of us here this morning who are playing let's pretend in one or more areas of our lives. Whether it's a new relationship or a career change or a house move or an upgrade or some other new start. And we think this time It'll be different. This time it'll be great. This time it'll be heavenly. And so we pour way too much of our hopes and our time and our energy and our money into trying to make it that. And it's inevitable that it's going to let us down. Unless we learn the lesson of Ecclesiastes, our lives will be a succession of failed hopes and broken dreams. Now, for for some here, as I said earlier, that um, you're not coming at this from a position of um, believing in God. I know that. And perhaps you have, as I've been speaking, recognised that uh, you have felt it it should be straightforward to have a happy and fulfilled uh, life. Perhaps you thought life will be good when I get that uh, job or that home or that family or whatever. And perhaps you've been confused when it hasn't worked out that way. If so, then perhaps you need to see why it is, uh, or, or rather how it is, that, that, that Ecclesiastes not only explains why these things don't deliver, but also offers a better way to live in the real world as we actually find it. For others of us, perhaps those who do believe in God, perhaps we have been effectively bargaining with God, even if we haven't realised it and we haven't intended to. Perhaps we've thought, as Christians, who have God's word guiding us, God's spirit living in us, God's blessing resting on us, perhaps we thought we can expect things to basically go right for us. Perhaps we wouldn't put it quite like that. But we think, for instance... If we do the right thing by listening to God's word and saving sex for marriage and marriage for someone of the opposite sex who's a believer, then surely God will get me married and sex will be great and the relationship will last and will be happy. Or if I work hard and with integrity, then my business will succeed. Or if I share my faith honestly with other people and bravely, then they will become Christian. Well, if we think that way, then we haven't yet understood reality as Ecclesiastes, as the Bible shows it to us. And we're wide open to getting completely knocked for six when we discover that the world that we're living in really is deeply broken. And we're feeling the effects of the curse. We're wide open to getting burnt out and hopeless and enraged and panicked when things go wrong. And that's why in ancient Israel, they read this book, cover to cover, every year. And they read it at harvest time, when their hopes were likely to go sky high. Because it teaches us not to bargain with God like that, but to embrace the sovereign, holy, gracious, saving nature of God. And so in the real world, in a cursed world, to be free, to really enjoy life in a real way, perhaps for the first time. Now perhaps... Um, just as I finish we're experiencing some of that being not not for six right now life is not what we had expected it to be we're feeling the brokenness very keenly things are way off track Ecclesiastes is not designed to lead us to wallow in that but rather to understand what's going on to begin to reconcile ourselves with the brokenness of reality and find a way to cope with the deep frustration and perhaps grief, and alongside that, to begin to be able to receive the good things that God does give us in this life. Now, if you want that, either of those things, for yourself then let me encourage you to, to keep coming back and keep drilling down into the book of Ecclesiastes. Perhaps read it uh, before we continue next week. But for now, let me lead us in a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that in your word, you reveal true reality to us. Please help us to listen humbly. Keep us from living in a make-believe world. Make us robust, able to cope with living in a cursed world. Give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.